Hello, everybody, and welcome into another edition of the Return of the Roar podcast. Uh, I am Chris Watkins. Again, digitally across from me, Frankie Cardicelli. Frank, it's been a long week, man. Uh, how, how have you been? Uh, I saw you were up in Tahoe, man. How's the, how's the weather up there? Uh, it was okay. You know, I, I think it's probably pretty similar to what uh, our, our guest Bryant West over here <laughs> is, is dealing with in, in, in Santa Rosa. Bryant, welcome, my friend. Thank you. Uh, I wish that it was as nice here in Tahoe. It's a, it's 80 degrees, which is pretty hot for us, but um, it's got to be a lot better than you guys in Sac right now. <laughs> yeah, uh, I, I definitely, yeah, I, 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 people love the heat who live here. Well, I mean, it's kind of a necessity to deal with the heat when you're here, but I, I can definitely do without it, man. Like, honestly... Yeah. The the winter can't come soon enough for it me. It just it like depends. If, if if you have a pool, I feel like it's a lot easier to manage it. And and since I've moved out to Sacramento, I I don't really have a pool, like unless a, a buddy has one or something, because I'm renting houses or whatever. And and uh, I I need I need a pool. So if anyone out there want to want to be want to be pals, uh, if you have a yeah, pool, Frank, Frank will just come into your backyard. I'm coming over, ready to go. I'm coming over. Sunscreen on his nose, you know, he'll he'll be ready to go. Um, that's not at all what we are here to talk about today. Uh, we brought in Bryant because he is uh, he writes over at the Kings Herald. We love everything they do. He's co-host of the Kings Pulse podcast with Brendan, who we had on last week. Um, but most importantly, uh, for why he's on this week, uh, Bryant is one of the very best at um, King centric coverage uh, of the NBA draft. Um, Brian, I mean, we asked Brendan the same question last week. How long and how did you really get into covering uh, covering the Kings, really, in general, but um, also the draft specifically? Well, my introduction to the Sacramento Kings was kind of embarrassing. Uh, I went to a pool party in the summer of 2002, and the first basketball game I ever watched was game one of the Western Conference Finals. Oh. And uh, as we all know... It has gone downhill ever since that. <laughs> I, I joined the bandwagon at probably the best and worst time. Um, and, uh, you know, when the Kings got into the lottery for the first time in the 2007 season, um, 2007, yeah, it was the first time they were in the lottery. So it was a new introduction for me. And I thought, you know, I'm really kind of interested in this whole process. Um, I was watching a little bit of college basketball because I was heading off to college pretty quickly after that. And I thought, boy, this is a really interesting pro- project. Uh, I'll take it on, see how long the Kings are in the in the lottery <laughs> range. And uh, Whoops. Yeah. <laughs> that About mistake. that. 15 that years. Like you like slip into a career somehow. <laughs> it's, like, it's like, you know, well, I was only planning you know, everybody... on being at the company for like two years. It was just supposed to be a little starter gig. And then. I don't know what happened. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, I keep telling uh, people this, that the lottery, well, you know, just college basketball in general and draft scouting has really become kind of a self-defense mechanism for me. And just, it doesn't matter how bad the Kings are, I'm always going to have this array of optimism. Maybe they'll be bad enough and they'll get Cade Cunningham or Evan Mobley. <laughs> Maybe this will be the year. And, uh, you know, it's happened uh, twice I jumped twice in their entire uh, entire time I've been doing this. And uh, one time I got uh, De'Aaron Fox, and uh, the other time it uh, didn't get Luka Doncic. So, you know, that's how that went. Yes. 
we, so, we dropped the we dropped the L word early on this podcast. I, didn't, <laughs> I, 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 I thought, it's my fault. I, I thought it'd take a little longer. <laughs> I mean, it is draft season. That, that gets thrown yeah. out a lot, a lot this time. Um, I will well, say I, this is this is my favorite time of the year. Uh, it doesn't matter how hot it is. Uh, I can I can be pissed off at the at the hot summer in uh, nine days. So yeah, um, <laughs> let's that. go. Let's yeah. do it. Yeah. <laughs> So overall that time, I mean, it's, this will be, this is season 16 of, of the lottery. Um, or is this 50 regardless, uh, overall that time doesn't even matter at this point. Yeah, it really doesn't. It's too many. Um, what do you feel like you learn or do you even feel like you learn things on a year to year basis? Do you feel like it's kind of like a three year crop four or five year crop, or is it just kind of really every single year you have to treat with a new pair of eyes or do you try and, you know, learn from your mistakes of, of loving a prospect of last year that didn't turn out? Uh, you always try to go back and yeah. evaluate what's wrong. Uh, otherwise, like this is nothing more than an ego trip trying to <laughs> bet on, on dudes to break out. Um, I won't pretend that uh, some of my mistakes in the past have made me more wary of certain types of players. Like mm-hmm. um, in 2013, I was a big proponent yeah. of uh, Ben McLemore. Never thought he would possibly fall, but you know, from him, uh, from his, from that mistake, I've learned to be pretty wary of uh, shooting guards who uh, have a lot of athleticism and not a ton of uh, skill or <laughs> natural instincts to go off of. Um, kind of makes me wary of like Keon Johnson. Exactly. He's a popular dude. Um, I will say that uh, as I watch more and more of Jonathan Kuminga's tape, um, mm-hmm. he's the 18-year-old who played in the G League, and I don't want to compare this because uh, playing in the G League is playing against grown men, NBA fringe players, some NBA players. Um, but I can't watch his skill set without being like, uh, he just kind of looks like a more physical Marvin Bagley to me. <laughs> yeah so, um yeah well yeah so I, you know it's, it's just a year by year basis um and you got to take each draft as its own animal like i do think that there is a lot this is a really uh kind of deeper class there's going to be like 10 dudes that the kings could take at nine who yeah. i'd all understand and at least like um say like okay monty i see what you're doing there um I don't know if that was necessarily the case last year, but then again, like as you guys talked about with Brendan last year, I mean, last week, nobody saw Tyrese Halliburton falling. So um, it, it, it's that same kind of year. Somebody could fall, but even if the draft kind of goes too chalk and uh, the people that, you know, all the mock drafts are saying will go in the top eight, that won't happen. But let's say it does. That 9 to 18 range to me really has a whole bunch of players who I'm going to at least understand Monty McNair taken. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and uh, I mean, that's that's kind of why we, we have you on here this week is because we want to try and figure out uh, each individual team, what their mindset is really going to be going into the pick because no one, I mean, especially with mock draft season, um, they end up really just kind of being a rinse and repeat thing and they all look the same and it usually doesn't end up being the correct order of things and, and somebody inevitably falls that we weren't seeing fall. And uh, then we look back on it and 
you really are like, it really makes sense that, you know, um, we'll talk about, I, I keep using Cleveland as an example, but they have a real decision to make at three where if they go with Evan Mobley, that means they kind of have to make a decision right now on Jared Allen. Or if they take um, Jalen Green or Jalen Suggs, uh, what does that mean for the combination of Darius Garland and Colin Sexton? Um, so, yeah, I mean, with, without further ado, I mean, I kind of that that's that's kind of the uh, thought process for what we're about to do here. Starting it was off, it, it was a perfect lead. In. Um, it was a very perfect. Lead yeah, in. it was. I, Thank you. I appreciate it. I, I saw uh, Bryant just laid it up right there and I saw it and I was like, I have another question, but that was too good of a lead in opportunity to not have. So uh, I took it. <laughs> Once Thank again, I'm interrupting you. <laughs> Shout out to everybody who listened to uh, to Matt George's uh, uh, Locked on Kings podcast where we talked about uh, the Marvin Bagley situation. Go ahead and listen to that. Um, well, I think that was last week, last Thursday. Um, yeah. Good conversation. Um, and listen to me. And listen to me interrupt Chris like yeah. <laughs> exactly. It's all right. Damien did it too. Damien, it's all right. It's well, it's Damien. it's tough digitally. It's tough. It really it is, is like I know. You, yeah. It's just different. It's definitely but, true. Well, we're gonna rock it. So I mean, Bryant, I don't know if you have it out in front of you. I'm, I'm sure you do, or maybe it's you know tattooed into your mind. But pretty <laughs> much it's just uh, an idea of a mock draft. I mean, what do you, what do you have starting at number one? I mean, I'm gonna go ahead and guess. Uh, it's gonna it's gonna probably you know be that kid from Oklahoma State, but I could be wrong. But what do you got? Well, it's definitely that kid from Oklahoma State. Um, <laughs> I respect that the Detroit Pistons have kind of put it out there, like, well, we're gonna seriously look at Jalen Green. We'll have a conversation with Jalen Suggs. Like, I think they even had Jonathan Kuminga in mm. for a conversation. But come on, guys, it's Cade Cunningham, yeah. like <laughs> six seven, two hundred twenty pounds like was pretty much the only NBA player on that Oklahoma state roster. And he made them a top five seed in the NCAA tournament and was pretty much the best player uh, in the draft pretty much the whole season. Um, Like the one thing I just keep circling back around, like when he came into the college basketball scheme, like everybody knew he was an amazing passer and he definitely showcased that uh, a bit at college like anybody who says that his just points to his assist numbers and says oh they weren't great like come on just go watch his passes he's an amazing passer but the thing to me that locked him in at the number one spot was i always heard from everybody who was watching him in high school like eh, his his shooting ability isn't the great his pull-up jumper isn't the best and arguably he is probably the best pull-up shooter in the lottery right now like maybe Jalen Green has a case but the fact that he improved so much as a shooter this year uh and everything he can do at his size like he is the initiator that Detroit team desperately needs he is the star that Detroit team desperately needs very happy for that fan base and that organization just take Cade Cunningham don't overthink it yeah and I remember a couple weeks ago, people were trying to start up the, is Cade Cunningham really a slam? Are we sure that Cade is going to be the number one guy? I personally thought it was crazy. I totally agree with everything you said. I, if you watch Oklahoma State this year, th- their best times were when Cade Cunningham had the ball in his hand. And like you said, he was the best isolation scorer I saw in, in, in the uh, in the nation this year. Um and to me, there's no question that he's the number one pick. Bryant, is there any 
reason for Detroit to pick Cade Cunningham and maybe be afraid that Evan Mobley or or uh, Suggs or or uh, Jalen Green will will come back to to haunt them? Well, I cannot tell you that there's no I mean, chance. <laughs> yeah, Mobley, but like if if you're not going to be disappointed with Cade Cunningham, mm-hmm. there's no universe where the Pistons take him and they're like kicking themselves down the road unless some unforeseen injury happens and Lord protect us from that. So uh, do you see Cade playing point guard in the league? That's something I think um, it's kind of been penciled in for him to just kind of come in and play point guard, but I'm not necessarily sold on him walking in day one and just being given the keys to an offense. Well, I don't think that he needs to walk in and immediately be the only playmaker on that team. Um, I kind of like that the Pistons already have um, Killian Hayes on that roster because Cade is going to be a dude who is going to benefit from having another playmaker. Um, like if he had gone to like the Warriors and jumped to number one or something, like that could have been a tiny bit messy in terms of just. Uh, optimizing the best that Cade has to offer. But to me, by the end of the year, he will be the uh, primary initiator for that Pistons team. Um, And uh, I think they'll be better for it. I definitely thought you were about to uh, mention the fact that they have Corey Joseph, and that's why you were so (laughs) – Oh, stop it. Stop it. Do they even need Kate at that point? I mean (laughs) – That's a headline right there. Do the Pistons really even need a guard with Corey Joseph on the roster? Breaking news. If the Pistons are only playing the Kings next year, uh, yeah, maybe they don't need anybody but Corey Joseph. Yeah, Yeah, Corey Joseph just just, – Forgotten about yeah, Corey yeah. Joseph just he dismantled the Kings, but I remember that game. I just I I was sick to my Locked stomach. Uh, anyway, speaking of guard help, uh, you know the Houston Rockets they moved on from James Harden. Uh, they were pretty horrible the entire season. I know they have John Wall needs a little bit of help uh, there in H Town. Is Jalen Green the guy at number two for you, Bryant? You know I would. Pro- I have Evan Mobley number two on my board. Oh, there it I- is. Yeah, I expect that the Rockets are going to take um, Jalen Green, so I'll just give him his props first. Like, when he was the perfect dude to be the first real, like, experiment in the G League, um, because he just took advantage of every opportunity and thrived. Um, for a guy just to come in at, uh, he was just 18 when he started playing in the G League, he's now 19, um, and averaged 18 points. Four rebounds, two assists, two and a half assists, shot 46% from the field, 36% from three, uh, played a lot better defense than I was expecting just based on what the whispers I'd heard uh, from him in high school. Like there was no nothing on his tape that made me hesitate having him in my top three. Um, I think that Houston is going to have a really dynamic offense if they take him. Um, I do think it's a little bit... Uh, of a shorter um, two-three lineup there, if if that's what he's supposed to be, because they've got Kevin Porter Jr. penciled in at the other spot. Um, but when it comes to offense, like the two of those dudes are just going to be so electric, so fun to watch. Um, but if I could make the case for Evan Mobley, it would just be that I think that his ceiling is one of the best three, four, five two-way centers in this league. Like, to me, he is the new era type big. 
um, a guy who's really crafty on the offensive end. I think uh, he was think he's getting a little underhyped uh, coming out of USC because people look at his game and be like, well, he didn't dominate the ball, which let's be real. There hasn't been a true dominating big man over the last like decade who went in the top 10, except for Zion. Like these were the same things that people were saying about Anthony Davis coming out of Kentucky in terms of just like his offensive output. Um, and while I don't know that Evan Moby's going to become Anthony Davis, I think he has a shot. Um, and I love his defensive versatility. I think he is a perfect switching big man who can handle a ton of responsibilities and still anchor the paint. Um, so he'd be my pick at number two, but I mean, everything that you hear out of Houston is that they're narrowing in on Jalen Green, and I can't necessarily say that that would be a bad pick. Yeah, I definitely agree. I think I think it's a really, really tough decision, and I I I, I think it would be I I agree with you that that Mobley is the higher upside of the of the two. I'm just not sure. Again, yeah, I I agree that. Jalen Green's probably going to be the pick. I'm just not sure. I again, I am. I'm not. I'm not sure who Houston uh, is inevitably going to go with. I think it's what are they? What are they trying to accomplish? What do you think Houston's trying to accomplish in the next season? Are they? Are they trying to still rebuild? I mean, they have John Wall on his max deal. They just signed Christian Wood. Um, does that even really play into effect here? Or? I don't necessarily think it should. Um, I can't say that it doesn't, but mm-hmm. I, none of these teams, except for maybe Toronto, that are in the mm-hmm. bottom four, to me, need, have like a timeline that absolutely necessitates they try to push for the playoffs. Maybe John Wall uh, will kind of push Houston to do that, and I can't necessarily say that in offense with John Wall, Jalen Green, Kevin Porter Jr., and uh, Christian Wood, if he stays healthy. I, I can't tell mm-hmm. you that that's not a team that competes for the plan. But Houston's not, to me, a team that needs to push. Um, I think this is the only year that they didn't have their pick because they, they weren't going to have their pick unless they jumped into the top four, and luckily for them, mm-hmm. they did. I don't. I think they own their picks outright for the next couple of years, so... Um, they can, whatever this roster brings them, like Jalen Green to me is their future star. So if suddenly they're like, oh, wow, we're in the ninth seed, I don't think they'll be kicking themselves. Mm. Gotcha. And then that moves us on to Cleveland at number three. Um, Do you see Cleveland here in a situation where they're just kind of taking whoever's left of Green or Mobley? Is that kind of what the choice is? Or is there potential for them to go Suggs? Well, I think they could definitely take subs. Um, I think that Cleveland, you talked about this, Cleveland is the most interesting case of uh, a team that has to consider fit. But in the end, to me, like there's nobody on Cleveland's roster that should stop them from drafting whichever Mm -hmm. one of Jalen Green or Evan Mobley is there at three. Um, I like Jared Allen. I honestly, if I was in Cleveland's front office, I would still, I would let um, uh, Allen go out there and find an offer and just match whatever it was because he's a restricted free agent. Mm-hmm. I would still keep him around because uh, there's some part of me that thinks that Evan Mobley with his ability to um, 
play in space on defense. Uh, and I think he's a, probably a better shooter than his collegiate numbers might indicate. Um, I kind of think that having a more traditional center next to him, at least in early in his career, is the worst outcome. And it's not like mm-hmm. Jared Allen's not going to have a trade market if it doesn't work out. So I would still um, keep both of those guys and see what happens. Um, but like, say, Houston decided to take Evan Mobley and suddenly Jalen Green there. Like neither Colin Sexton or Darius Garland to me are so amazing that they that when it comes to fit, you have to consider them when you take Jalen Green. Like just take whichever one of these two players falls to three mm-hmm. and worry about the fit over the next couple of years because um, they have a lot of players I like, uh, including Isaac Okoro, who was my draft crush last year. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that they have the foundation for a really good defensive core moving forward especially if they end up with Evan Mobley and they're in no rush there's no way that this team is a top eight in the east next year um so I don't think they're necessarily in a rush to figure out fit and make it all work immediately so just take whichever one of the best players is left gotcha and you're higher personally on Jalen Green than Jalen Suggs I am only because um I trust Jalen Green's uh, go-to scoring talents a little more. Um, but if Cleveland was, uh, like, if Cleveland is doing an incredible smokescreen here and they'd rather keep Colin Sexton than Darius Garland, mm-hmm. um, then I won't say that Jalen Suggs would be a bad pick because um, I think he's more of a traditional, like, primary initiator than Jalen Green, who I think is the go-to scorer, but not necessarily like a traditional playmaker point guard kind of so yeah and uh that brings us on to toronto who similar to cleveland uh this pick has uh further implications for them as they have a decision to make on kyle lowry who is entering free agency here um do you see any way again i know i kind of just asked this question but is this just kind of take whoever's left of suggs green mobley yeah i think toronto's loving this opportunity um, whichever one of those three dudes falls to them is mm-hmm. both a great fit and the clear most talented player mm-hmm. to me. Yep. Um, so it should be a pretty easy decision. Um, assuming it's Jalen Suggs, like I love that fit. Yeah. Um, I love Jalen Green playing in Nick Nurse's offense. Um, I think he would be fantastic with uh, the rest of their young wings. Um OG and Anubi to help protect and insulate him on defense a little bit. Um, Pascal Siakam, assuming he doesn't go anywhere. Uh, you know, Toronto to me is my favorite uh, Rashawn Holmes destination if he decides to Sacramento. Wow. Like, imagine that roster next year. Yeah, that would just be. I mean, they're ready Holmes. to go. Like, yeah, that's a that's a top four team in the East, in my opinion. Yeah. That's a quick bounce <laughs> back, yeah. Five, but no, that's an is, incredibly yeah. quick bounce back. And um, I love so I love the situation. Yeah. yeah. Switchability For of him sure. and Bleed to me is is a real selling point. I mean, Absolutely. their games are so similar. I, I, I would love that. That's, Toronto's things are definitely looking up for Toronto, regardless of who they uh, end up with there. Absolutely. 
That brings us to, you know, things get kind of gray after that. I mean, I, I think yeah. everyone can agree. I mean, I guess unless we're stunned, I think the top four are going to be the top four. Maybe the mm-hmm. order of two through four changes. But, um, Brian, starting with Orlando, kind of down the board, it gets kind of, you know, it gets a little murky. Just what do you what do you see with Orlando at five? Well, I agree with you that there is a clear top four in this draft. Um, and, and this may be, you know, we started this whole exercise talking about the risks of um, overemphasizing how people are creating mock drafts. So perhaps in a week, I'm going to feel <laughs> like this take was stupid. But I think that everything that we're hearing, there is a top six in this draft. And the two dudes in that conversation are definitely not anywhere close to as talented as Cunningham, Green, Mobley, or Suggs. But um, I definitely am expecting that five and six go some com- some order of Jonathan Kuminga um, and Scotty Barnes. Mm-hmm. Just that would be my expectation. Uh, and I'd kind of be surprised if that changes. Yeah. What about you guys? I definitely agree with that. Yeah, I think uh, Scotty and Kuminga are the next two. I think they're the, the next two talented guys. I, I personally have... Uh, Scotty above Kaminga, just because kind of like you were saying earlier, I'm not entirely sure if I see the skill set there with Kaminga. I see a lot of exciting things with his athleticism, but in terms of actually putting it together, I'm not sure it's quite there. But um, I think both teams are kind of in a similar situation, though, where they're not really looking for anything in particular. I think uh, they're both kind of looking um for a versatile wing who in okc's case i think they're really just looking for for anybody who's got top tier talent yeah i completely agree with that um if we assume that one of those two dudes is going to go five and the other one to six like again oklahoma city can just sit there and smile and be like all right tell me which one you take unless Mm -hmm. um Unless Sam Presti's sitting there like, I absolutely think that Scotty Barnes is the better player. Yeah. Um, you know, just, just to talk more about Kaminga, I, I don't want to undersell this dude because if he figures it out and his pull-up becomes real and, and he finds a great shooting coach to help him iron that out and um, really improves his defense, like the, the thing that I was most expecting and then ended up disappointed with in terms of Kaminga was just the games I watched. He just either didn't, wasn't a very high motor or didn't really uh, have a great understanding of his defensive role. Um, so if that's a concern for either team, like, I guess it wouldn't surprise me if he's the dude in the situation that falls, but if he figures it out, like his, his physical tool set is definitely a, uh, a top 10 dude. So um, I expect that, you know, by nature, NBA teams are uh, somewhat optimistic and always coaches are always going to point to a, a, a dude and say, I can help him figure it out. I can mm-hmm. fix him. So it wouldn't, it would kind of surprise me if Kuminga goes outside of that top six. Um, okay. Yeah. The Kings need more guys that can point at players and say, I can fix them. I can fix that. We need more guys like that around over the last you know, 14 years. Yeah. So, I, I won't pretend like that's not coloring my draft board. <laughs> I, I don't want to go ahead too far, but do you see any way that Kaminga falls past Orlando's second pick at number eight? No, but. I know it's a hot take and that everybody's out there like, uh, he could be the dude that falls. And I'm not going to pretend like 
it's not a possibility. Um, maybe teams have learned from uh, their mistakes and they're not just going to gamble on physical upside. Uh, but by all accounts, Kuminga wants to get better. So I don't necessarily think that he is a low motor dude um, who's just going to coast along and and isn't going to be impressive in workouts and those kind of things. So it would surprise me. Okay. Well, Speaking well, of teams with two picks. Exactly. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Golden <laughs> State uh, takes their first of their two picks. They have seven and 14. Uh, seven here. They're kind of looking, I guess, for the most ready to win or, or win now player, you know, the, the one who just seems like he can fit in their system and they, uh, they're not really looking for any sort of development. They're just looking for a win now yeah. kind of player. Uh, do you think, I mean, there's a couple guys that kind of fit in there between, uh, Moses Moody, who I know you're very high on, uh, Franz Wagner, who obviously a lot of talk, uh, he might go to the Kings. Maybe they take, Davion Mitchell, which I think people have started to kind of cool on where Cody Corey Kispert is again. I think that's somebody they maybe look at their second pick, but maybe he can go as high as here. What do you, uh, what are you seeing for the Warriors? Well, I think uh, the Warriors have a ton of, uh, this is to me where the draft starts. This is where the draft starts. Um, And if say Scotty Barnes fell to seven, like I think they'd be like, Oh yeah. We'll totally take the dude who has comparisons to Draymond Green because, like, even if Scotty Barnes doesn't have a tremendous immediate offensive impact, like, I think he's going to be a dude that they can throw in on defense and he'll make a, a immediate contribution. Um, but I keep making this joke. It is hilarious to me. I I was not that crazy high on James Wiseman last year. I think I had him like ninth on my big board, um, and. Watching his three games at Memphis, he was clearly an incredibly raw prospect. Um, and when they took him last year, they, they said he was number one on our boards. We're sure he's going to be a star. And then at the end of the year, Steve Kerr was making all these lines about, well, we didn't think he was this raw. Like, what tape were you watching, guys? <laughs> yeah. Seriously. Um, so it will be absolutely hilarious to me if the Warriors just, completely flip that and they're like we cannot take another raw dude we have to take yeah. Davion Mitchell because he's the only dude that we know can absolutely play from day one um, it would be a classic overcorrection absolutely I like like you said I think that there is a whole bunch of dudes who can contribute from day one um, Moses Moody, Franz Wagner, um, Josh Giddy to an extent. I think on offense he's going to be pretty quick. Um, like Davion Mitchell wouldn't surprise me just because that's the type of dude they look for. Um, to me, my personal bet for uh, Golden State at seven is James Booknight from UConn mm. um, because I think that last year, if anything – in their offense showed, and I, I watched way too many Warriors games living in Santa Rosa, um, that once Curry went to the bench, they had nobody who could put pressure on the rim. Um, and I think Book Knight is kind of that dude who could fit pretty well next to Curry. He needs to learn how to play off ball more, but I mean, when are you going to learn to play off ball more quickly than playing mm-hmm. next to Steph Curry? 
Um, I think he is a pretty underrated shooter. If you just look at his numbers, um, I think he is a dedicated defender, although he wasn't that effective last year. He was pretty much UConn's only offensive threat. So I'll kind of give him a pass for that. Uh, to me, he's my odds-on favorite at seven. Um, and then they'll take one, whichever one of the more, uh, whichever, whichever of the senior guys falls to them at 14. That's my take for them, but they could break my heart and take Moses Moody. They could take Franz Wagner and kind of shore up their um, forward spot with another high IQ defender. Uh, heck, they could take Keon Johnson and just make us all scratch our heads and be like, yeah. what are you doing? Another raw guy? I don't know. The Warriors, to me, is where this draft starts um, and how they set the table for eight and nine is really going to impact what the Kings can do. Yeah, and if Book Knight goes to the Warriors there at seven, that, that's, that could potentially be a very, very scary thing. Uh, if, if he realizes he's, his potential to have, I mean, I, I'm assuming, unless they, you know, they can always maneuver things around if he's really showing that much pro, uh, prospect. But, you know, if he's going to come off the bench behind Clay and Steph, and just come in and be a spark plug that he's definitely fit for that mold. And uh, I, that could just, I, no, thank you. Uh, no, thank <laughs> you just to that moving forward. Uh, and with that brings us to Orlando at uh, Frank, do you, do you have any thoughts on the Warriors? No, play? I mean, I, I mean, I agree with you guys completely. I, I really do. I, I have had those kind of nightmares too, about them taking one of uh, Moody or, or Franz, but uh, I, I just, I, I do. I feel like, Golden State's going to go a different direction, like you guys said. And um, yeah, Book Knight is a guy I, I did like. Uh, you know, I did a lot of research after we talked to Brent to Brendan, and I really like his game from UConn. And um, Golden State is definitely going to utilize a player like that. And like you said, Chris, it's scary because Steph and Clay are going to be back next year. Uh, even though Clay, I think he's expected back after a month or two into the season, but um, they're going to bring up that next generation of Warriors players. You know, Jordan Poole is really exciting to watch. Uh, kind of towards the play-in. He, had, he took a big step forward, I think, and um, they need some youth. But hopefully they go with, with the guards and they stay away from uh, the lengthy wings that we're looking at, and, and we'll all be happy, yeah. hopefully. Yeah, and the Warriors uh, are also, like, secretly kind of very thin where, you know, they're playing a lot of Damian Lee and playing, you know, uh-huh. I like Toscano Anderson's game a lot, but are these really guys that you want to be given? Even Jordan Poole, it's like, do you want to be given these guys 20, 25 minutes a game? I don't know. I would much rather you know see what book night could do with those minutes yeah i completely agree with you and i appreciate being on a pro uh moody Franz podcast yes <laughs> Makes oh yeah right I, at home not to yeah. get ahead of ourselves but i mean I, I i don't think it's a secret that i i would love one of those two well at, and so and that's yeah i prefer with, with with us making that pick well i mean we're not really doing a really they're on the board draft, but they're on yeah, the board. Bo- bo- both of these two prospects will be available uh for the kings at nine if if this is how things go down um might as well talk about it now bryant how well, how realistic do wait. you see <laughs> well we have to wait for we have to wait for orlando yeah orlando at eight yes. yeah we'll get one of the two yes. yeah we'll or- get one of the two as much um, I will Orlando be. here. I mean, this is this is a pretty random pick for them. I mean, they're kind of probably just taking whoever they feel is the most talented person left on the board. Yeah. Um, it would be surprising to me if Orlando takes either Scotty Barnes or Jonathan Kuminga and then looks at eight and is like, uh, let's just take another non-shooter. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So. If there is a team that I worry is going to break our Moody um, Mafia love or take Franz, 
it's going to be Orlando to me. Um, I could see a universe where Orlando says, well, you know, we took uh, Jonathan Kuminga and now we really need playmaking. So let's look at Josh Giddy um, because I think, you know, Brendan wrote about this at the King's Herald a couple weeks ago. To me, Josh Giddy has the most elite singular NBA skill left on the board with his passing ability. Mm-hmm. Um, so maybe they're like, well, we really need a playmaker. Let's take him. But Orlando's going to take in my book, either Franz or Moody. Um, which then, yeah, which then leaves Sacramento with a uh, choice of the la- ladder. Maybe maybe Orlando says, no, nah, Davion Mitchell shot 44% from three last year. He's definitely a shooter. Let's go. Um, that kind of surprised me, though. Maybe they like Keon Johnson, his athleticism. Maybe they like the vertical. I could see that. They want, the, you know, they want, they want a lob threat. Maybe I feel they stay like away. Knight's the one that that they would really want to fall there. I feel like that's that's a good spot for him to just kind of come in. I don't know what Terrence Ross's uh, contract situation looks like, but just kind of come in and and fill that role on. And mm-hmm. I th- I feel like he can come in tomorrow and do that. Um, so I I would like that spot for Book Knight, but if, obviously if he's going seven, um, it just it would be tough to see them not take one of yeah like you said one of moody or wagner um unless someone else that we're not expecting like a davion mitchell like a josh giddy um is there anybody else that you could maybe see slipping in to uh to the top eight a whole bunch of dudes honestly like really? it wouldn't surprise me if alperin sengun went top uh, eight. yes of course um just because like he's the best big on the board mm-hmm. according to everybody um, he's not my favorite outcome for Sacramento just because, uh, while I'm never going to tell a Sacramento fan base that grew up on bloody D like, Hey, let's not take this sweet passing big man <laughs> who has a complete offensive game. Uh, but I just cannot watch his defensive tape and say, Hey, one of the worst defensive teams in NBA history should absolutely take a center with very minimal defensive side. Um, Josh Giddy could go in the top eight. We talked about him. Um, Davion Mitchell has so many fans in the league right now who are just staring at his Baylor tape and thinking, man, he was the heart and soul of a, of a championship team and uh, a fantastic defensive player. I think he's getting overvalued. I think he has a real risk of being considered a bust if he goes in the top ten just because I don't really believe in his shooting, um, and he really needs that to provide offensive value. Um, I know he's a favorite of uh, Jerry Reynolds, um, <laughs> who you guys can listen to on the King's Herald podcast. Yeah, because, yeah nice book. Um, and, and, and I don't want to sit here being like, Davion Mitchell's not a dude I would bet on. <laughs> he's a guy like in any normal year, if he was sitting in the 15 to 20 range, like he'd be one of my favorite dudes just because I love those defensive first guys who just – have an undeniable motor, but I just truly worry that his shooting was a one-year blip. He's a 22-year-old who may have just broken out this year while beating up on due to where just physically or mentally as developed as he is. Um, so I don't know. That's a long-winded reason for I don't think he should be a top 10 pick, but it wouldn't surprise <laughs> me. Yeah. I, um, I, I, I just kind of put it up as, you know, Davion Mitchell's player comp and you know player comps aren't perfect but his comp is 
kind of like a, a Patrick Beverly type player. And, mm-hmm. you know, everyone would love to have Patrick Beverly on his team, on their team. He, he's a bulldog and he plays amazing defense and you can rely on him for that. But are you going to take Patrick Beverly in the top 10? Yeah. I don't know. I you mean, gotta, you know, I, you I gotta, personally wouldn't, but it's what you, what you value. You have to look at because it's like on one hand, um, if you think that you are just a play or two away from actual meaningful contention, like I get it, but you have to take a 22 year old and this high in the lottery, you have to look at all the rest of these 18, 19 year olds and say, there is no way that any of these dudes would have uh, equaled or bested Davion Mitchell's statistics on a good team mm-hmm. after four years of college program which is what he had. I know it says he's a junior, but uh, he had that one year uh, where he transferred. So, um, yeah, not my favorite gamble. Well, speaking of gambles, uh, yeah, Yeah. speaking of gambles, the Kings and their draft picks have been, you know, well, the last year (laughs) was a hit. It was great. Uh, Tyrese Halburn obviously hopefully changed the the fortunes of, of the last 15 years. And uh, obviously reports, like we talked before we started recording reports have been kind of going around that, uh, a team in the top 10 has made a promise to Franz Wagner. Uh, some have speculated that's New Orleans because I think that the only official workout that has been documented for Wagner is New Orleans. Um, do you think the Kings take Wagner or do you think they kind of look a little deeper? Uh, I think I know the answer to the question, though, but I'm just hey, asking anyways. <laughs> you know, as I said from the get go, there's going to be a real big gap of players who I'm going to at least understand Monty's decision if he takes them. Any one of uh, Franz or Moody is my preference at number nine, just because I think they represent the best intersection of a dude who's going to be able to contribute immediately, which I think Monty's going to really prioritize trying while trying to make get this team out of the uh, lottery for the first time in 16 years. Um, I think that they are the best two-way players left on the board. I'm a massive fan of Moses Moody's shooting ability and his defensive instincts. Um, and as my buddy Brendan captured today beautifully in his Franz Wagner profile, I think Franz is an incredibly underrated defensive prospect mm-hmm. who is confidence away from being a very complete offensive player. So to me, one of those two players is going to be there at nine. Just take whichever one of them is there. And uh, I think this team has a real shot at having a one, two, three combination of the future. But it wouldn't surprise me if Josh Giddey's the pick. It wouldn't surprise me if Jalen Johnson's the pick. It wouldn't surprise me if Davion Mitchell's the pick, Corey Kispert. Heck, I wrote about Kai Jones. I don't think that he's uh, he's a pretty risky guy, even though when I was watching him, I thought, boy, this guy really has top 10 center talent if, if everything hits right. And he goes to a patient organization that can develop him, right? But since when has that been this organization? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, never. If I, have, if I have one sleeper for number nine, it's Zaire Williams from Stanford. Mm-hmm. Um, he's another upswing, upside swing. But as I was watching this tape, I kind of tried to capture this in my own profile of him. I honestly think that he was the most impacted by um, the terrible year that all these prospects had last year. Um, he couldn't play. Stanford couldn't play home games because Santa Clara County restrictions on contact sports. 
So they were living out of hotels all year and uh, playing out of Santa Cruz Warriors gym. Um, he left the program for a month and a half to go be, no, just a month, to be with his family after they lost two family members back to back. Um, and I mean, he was a 19 year old kid who really, really needed a physical weight room development to get anywhere and uh, can't really do that out of a out of a hotel. So, and just watching his skill set, I think he has a clear offensive value at the next level as a 6'10 pull-up dude with a really sweet looking shot. Um, I think he is a patient team away from being a really good player, a really good two-way player. And if you just watch his interviews, like he's a really smart kid, knows what he needs to work on. Uh, and he quoted Tyrese Halliburton as a really good friend and a dude who can prove that skinny guys can make it at the next level. So, uh, <laughs> If Tyrese Halliburton gives him the thumbs up, like it wouldn't, it wouldn't surprise me if he was number nine. It wouldn't surprise me if he's their target if they suddenly trade back, um, and if they left the draft leaving one of Moody or Franz on the board, uh, but traded back and got um, Zaire Williams. I think that'd be a pretty good draft outcome. Um, I don't know. Is there anybody else left in the conversation to you guys? No, I mean, no, that that pretty much covers it to me. I think Zaire is definitely an interesting guy because I really, really liked him as a prospect coming into college last year. And if I'm not mistaken, didn't he have a knee injury as well that kind of set him back? Yeah. And so that's kind of definitely, I mean, you know, Kings fans just dealt with this with Harry Giles. I don't. Uh, it's definitely I can definitely say it's not as bad as the Harry Giles situation yeah. was, but I could see the hesitance um, to maybe take a guy in the top nine or top ten, I should say, uh, with, with knee issues like that. But also you see yeah. the the reverse side of that coin where um, there's a lot of reports that, you know, a lot of teams, specifically the Kings, weren't going to. Well, I shouldn't say specifically the Kings. I've heard the Kings weren't going to take uh, Michael Porter Jr. because of his his physicals being so bad. So, uh, you know, and, and we, you know, that's, I guess, still to be seen. But um, I, I think Zaire has the talent for sure to be a top 10 pick. Um, that yeah. would definitely be, it would be a surprise, but I think that would be, uh, I, I wouldn't be upset at it. No, I agree. I mean, uh, that, that's been the most intriguing prospect, right? The, the idea of the Kings brought him in and, and Oklahoma City has those two picks down there at 16, 18, and they look pretty juicy for trading back. And maybe that's something someone does. Maybe it's the Kings, maybe it's not, but. Um, I would imagine that OKC or, or Washington or someone in that range will get some calls if he's still on the board. And um, Jalen Johnson's a guy who's kind of intriguing to me. Uh, uh, yeah. he, he, he has NBA size and, it, it, and he looks like an NBA ready type of body and a guy that could come in and, and kind of like a Robert Woodard, that kind of similar presence. I mean, Robert Woodard didn't really get a shot granted uh, due to injuries. And um, I don't know about the Duke aspect. The Kings have kind of had a rough go with, with, with the Duke <laughs> aspect of it. So that's a whole thing. Uh, but Jalen Johnson and, and Zaire Williams, I, I, I really do like both those guys' games. And and um, if the Kings do decide to to shock the world and take one at nine, uh, we'll, we'll look at the, the bright side and the positives of it. But like you said, if, if Moody or Wagner are there, I don't see any way the Kings can can leave them on the board. Just just with the skill sets those guys bring to the table, it just is something I think the, the Kings cannot squander. Yeah, I completely agree with that. Um, if I could just add a bit of context for mm-hmm. Dyer's knee injury. Uh, it happened because he biked into a tree. Oh. It was the most Stanford injury you could possibly imagine. It really so is. I, yeah, I, don't think it's, I don't think it's anywhere close I don't mean to, to laugh at his injury. Uh, but oh I know, God, no. It, 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 yeah. 
it, it, it's legitimately kind of funny for uh, yeah, it is <laughs> campus with that many trees. It's it's, uh, it's a freak thing. It, it, I mean, it hurts. Yeah, you ever, yeah, have, yeah, have, yeah. You, have you ridden your bike into a curb or something? Like it hurts. No, yeah. I, mean, I think it's. And then he awesome. and then he started the season wearing a knee brace and that slowed him down. And you know, um, I, I don't think it's anywhere close to the complications of Giles or Porter. But yeah, it, no. it's something to monitor. Um, and Jalen Johnson to me is another upside swing. I, 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 as I watched more and more of his tape, um, I decided that I would rather gamble on Zaire just because, um, I think there's more guarantee that Zaire translates. Jalen Johnson really is, his tape is feast or famine. It's really incredibly impressive or he looks stuck in the mud and, and not an incredibly high instinct player. Um, but if you just look at his statistics numbers, like it's all small sample size, he only played 13 games. Um, but like 1. Uh, 1.2 blocks and 1.2 steals per game at 21 minutes a game, like those are insane block and steal rate numbers. And we know that Monty McNair is a dude who has, if you look at all of the guys he's brought in, he's brought in guys with decent steal and block rates. So. Um, that to me is the argument for Jalen Johnson, six nine, uh, two hundred ten pounds of clear, big wing, something that the Kings have never drafted in my damn lifetime. Um, with some defensive upside, like I get it. Um, I just also think that I don't know that I trust this team with uh, a de- developmental risk. Um, and Zaire Williams is that to an extent, but I also can watch Zaire Williams' tape and be convinced that uh, he's going to put the work in and move forward. And and I don't necessarily think that I can guarantee that with Jalen Johnson. Mm-hmm. Is there any prospect uh, or who is the prospect that you watch their tape and it, it surprised you the most, whether it be because you had low expectations for them or just because their tape blew you off you know blew you off your blew your mind (laughs) if anybody hasn't uh seen kai jones yet like go check out my profile from a couple of days ago because i got all of his best and worst clips in there like he to me is the most fun guy to watch in this class just because Mm -hmm. he's either doing he's he's 611 and 220 pounds and he he kind of looks to me like the dude we all hoped Willie Cauley Stein could be, <laughs> uh, except with uh, with an actual motor to back it up. Um, but he's like pulling up, dribble between the legs, step back threes, uh, and and he had some amazing defensive moments against uh, David Mitchell, Jared Butler. Like there's a highlight of him blocking the heck out of Cade Cunningham, other Cade Cunningham drive to the basket. Um, so when I started watching him, his take just leapt out at me, but like I said, he's a, such a feast or famine player that it would surprise me if they went with him. Um, outside of him, like if there's a real sleeper for Sacramento that we haven't mentioned, um, I know my Kings Herald dudes would all riot if I didn't just say again, Alperin Sengun can go number nine. It wouldn't be the worst case in the world. He has legitimate star talent on offense that I can I can I can I 
stop talking about him now. No, yeah. man. I mean, yeah, I, he's very – he's an intriguing guy for sure. It's, it's a guy uh, that he, he could rise. He really, it's kind of a question mark. He could go anywhere, I think, between 7 and 14. I mean, who knows? But it yeah. definitely will be intriguing to see. I'm definitely not yeah, going to crap on the guy, a, but I, I, I feel like we don't need to talk too much about him. I am a nerd for defense. I have watched this Kings team kick the defensive can down the road my entire life. There is, they've drafted one dude for his defensive upside on this roster, and that was Tyrese Halliburton. Please, please do not draft another guy with defensive, massive defensive question marks. Please. I don't want that again. All right, Brian. We'll get you out here. On, get you out of here on this one. So we've, we've talked about everything. We've talked about the whole pick. If you were the GM of the Sacramento Kings, what would you do with the number nine pick? Would you try and sell it off? Would you try and package it with a player and try and ship it off? See what you can get. Would you make the selection? Would you see what's available draft night? What, uh, what are you doing? I'll keep it simple. I take whichever one of Moses Moody and Franz Wagner is there at nine. Boom. I, like I, com- I completely agree. If we're in the front office, we're, answer, we're, 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 we're toasting champagne <laughs> after, you know, we're, yeah. we're, that's a win in my book. Yeah. Wait, real quick, agree. real quick before we go uh Brian, I mean, it's 39. I mean, you never know what you're going to find at 39, but ha- the Kings have brought in Jared Butler, Jaden Springer, a couple other guys. Have you, do you have anyone that you like at 39 just for the Kings second round pick? Boy, Jared Butler is there at 39. Like there may be a couple project players I might like more than him, but he'd he'd be my pick at 39 just because I think he's that uh, defensive-minded, pro shooting, intangibles look Mm. that everybody's trying to find with Davion Mitchell just uh, a whole round later. Um, But if he's off the board, uh, JT Thor is my favorite project player. I would absolutely love to see him in a King's uniform. I think yeah. he has seeing, lottery seeing, upside if everything goes right. Seeing Thor on the back of a King's jersey would be pretty cool. That'd be oh, – Go buy that immediately. That'd be I pretty popular. Yeah, Marvel fans, we jump all over that. That'd be, that'd be pretty cool. He's probably going to the Thunder, though, and that might honestly be <laughs> that, that would like be it. awesome. Need that. Yeah. All right. All right. Well, well, that's it for us. Uh, if you have any, any, any other questions that we did not answer on today's podcast, you can definitely find the answers over at thekingsherald.com uh, and read Bryant West and uh, Brendan Nunez's uh, draft player profiles. They have one on, I mean, is there anybody you feel like you, are you disappointed that you didn't get to write a profile on somebody? Is there anybody I'm, getting you guys one on cover? I'm getting one on Moses Moody, hopefully up. Uh, this weekend, um, I might run out of time and not be able to do my Jalen Johnson profile, but uh, that's pretty much it. it. Although I will say, like last year, we did not do a profile on Tyrese Halliburton. There was no way he was going to go. He was going to fall to twelve, and then he did. So, if the Kings take somebody who I haven't profiled at nine. Uh, I will have a profile out on him a couple days we, later. We were we were with you on that one. You know, D- Doug Christie he does the the player profiles as well, and and he'll send us over like the audio. And, and Chris or I will yeah. we'll we'll put it into a like a little little article. And um, he did all the guys that were going to go last year. We we thought in the, the ten through thirteen range, and uh, Tyrese Halberton was not one of them. So I think all the Sacramento media just kind of whiffed on that. And hopefully this year 
we uh, you know, the movie, the article gets a lot of hits and continues to get more for the Kings to pick them. That'd be that'd be the, the best scenario. But yeah, Brian, thank you, the Brian, thank you so much again, man. It, it was great talking draft, and we'll see what we do next Thursday. Thank you both for having me on. I appreciate it, and I love the content. Keep doing what you're doing. Yes, sir. Everybody, it, check, check out everyone. Check out Kings Pulse podcast as well. They do a great job over there. Amazing. All right. Uh, see you all next week. <laughs>